Oh, hold on. Oh, thank you very much. That's it now. Sorry, hello again. <laughs> and, uh, I've had a few announcements to go through this morning. Uh, tonight, there's an opportunity to meet for prayer over Zoom. The details are on your order of service. Um, it'd be great. We had, I think, 13 last time. It would be wonderful to see even more tonight praying and for God's will to be done in our lives and in this place. Uh, you'll receive the flyer this morning about next Sunday's all-age service. Um, anyone that has a football shirt, young, old, middle-aged, please wear it. I'll be wearing mine. And um, also, uh, it, it'll be, basically, if you don't have a football shirt or you're not a football kind of person, you like rugby or you like hockey or any sports shirt, feel free to uh, come and, and wear it. And it should be a, a fun service. We've got a lot of things lined up for next Sunday morning, so I think you'll enjoy it. Make sure you bring your kids and grandkids along. Uh, we're excited about the concert on Friday the 2nd of February. Uh, it's the African New Life Choir. There's some flyers out in the vestibule. Uh, we're gonna give you a wee taste just at the end of the announcements, give you a wee taste of what you're gonna uh, see on that evening. Uh, please let your friends, please your, let your family know about this event. Please take flyers, invite your neighbours. And uh, you'll see in the order of service sheet that we have a couple of events for, for children also coming up. That's the Kids Club on Friday, 26th of January, and then Messy Church that we have on Sunday the 4th of February. So uh, again, please pass on details to friends and family. And a date for your diary also is Sunday the 25th of February at half past seven. And that's when we're intending to uh, recommence Life Lounge. Um, that's half seven on the Sunday evening. I'm just going to ask Billy to come and do a, a short announcement about the election of elders. Morning, everyone. Uh, you will know that we're having an election of elders up to five. One, two, three, four, or five. And the voters list has been available now for a week. This is the second week. So if you feel that you're not on the list and you should be, we just speak to Mark or myself and we will investigate and correct as necessary. But next week and the following week, that is to say, the 28th of January and the 4th of February, there will be a box there for you to put your votes into. So you can vote next week or the following week, put your uh, names on the list and put it into the box. Now the people you vote for, not the current elders because they're elected for life and therefore they don't need to be re-elected. And anyone you wish to vote for must be on the voters list. Those are the rules of the church. Uh, and I don't mean Ballycrocken, I mean the Presbyterian Church. Within your order of service this morning, you have a little flyer that gives you a lot of information about it. And that should tell you all that you need to know. It gives you qualified voters, i.e. communicants and contributors. But there are developments from that as well. For example, if you're the only person in the home who comes to church, but let's say you're a child and your parents contribute, then you're entitled to a vote if you're a communicant. So have a close look at this, please, and just make sure that if you're entitled, you will get your chance to vote. Now, that's next Sunday and the following Sunday, and then we'll do the count after that and follow up as we need to. Thanks, Mark. Thank you very much, Billy. Um, we're going to have a wee look at, at the, the video now, just to, just to say that uh, all of the hosts, uh, people that are hosting uh, the children, um, if we have a wee quick meeting next Sunday after the service, um, just any questions that you might have and th details that you might need to know, uh, we'll be doing that. We'll be getting in touch with you during the week as well. But just next week, if you're thinking about um, having these children and, and there's questions in your back of your mind what you need to know please bring the questions next Sunday and we'll try and answer them for you okay so we're just going to give you a little quick taster 
of what you can expect at the concert. There's a wee taster for you, but I just want to start our service uh, this morning with John 4:23, where Jesus said to the woman at the well, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And that, that gets us back to, we are, we're created to be worshippers, and that's what God created us to do, to worship him. And that's where we sort of come into our own. And uh, you know, we, I know we all have our own ideas of what worship should look like, but it's not about us, it's about, it's about him. It's about him, glorifying him. Uh, Stephen Sharnock uh, said it well, he said, when we believe that we should be satisfied rather than God glorified in our worship, then we put God below ourselves as though he had been made for us rather than us being made for him. So we're going we're to start our service with Love Divine. I was, this is an old hymn, and it's one of those types of hymns when I was a child, I think, just went over my head. I just listened to the tune, and that was it. Didn't think much about the words, but these are incredible words written by Charles Wesley. Just let them go into your heart, so some based on the, on the, on the truth of the gospel and the truth of the Word of God. Powerful, powerful words. So let's, as we worship God this morning, let's, let's just let those words sink into our hearts. Um, okay, Love Divine. Oh, 
Let's pray. Father, it is amazing to think that there is worship going on in heaven right now. That is what the church in heaven is about, worshiping and glorifying you. And that's what we are about down here. Forgive us when we get caught up in busyness, but Lord, bring us back to that place where we are worshipers, where we want to exalt your name and lift you high. In Jesus' name, lead us to service. Amen. Amen. So, boys and girls, would like to come up to the front. Yeah, we've got a couple. Well done. Good faithfuls. Jackson and Daisy, great to see you. Okay, have any of you been watching the news recently? Have anybody seen this guy, Russ Cook? No, this guy here, he is running from... Uh, right through Africa. He's running from the bottom to the top of Africa. The whole, have you seen that? He's got a big ginger beard. Yeah, 9,320 miles. I think that's something like 32 marathons. I don't know, but that's a lot. That's an awful lot of miles. Now, tell me this. When you think of Africa, what do you think of? What do you think of Africa? When you think of Africa, elephants, anything else? Elephants, giraffes, monkeys, snakes. This guy's come across some snakes. He's actually got lost in a jungle. So there's a lot of things you think about when you think about Africa, but what about the climate there? What's it? Is it cold or is it hot? It's very, very hot, isn't it? It's very, very hot. He must have an awful lot of water to take. What do you think? Don't you need water? Don't you? Yeah, yeah when in a very hot climate, in the summer, we need to be drinking plenty of water. Water is really life-given. Without water, we could not live. We couldn't live without water. So it's, it's a life-giving thing. Now, I got these in Tesco's. Now, there's three different flavors. There's orange and pineapple, still water. There is apple and raspberry, still water. And there is... Black currant, still water. Now, see these wee bottles of water? They cost me 45p each. <laughs> like, you could probably put them down in one glug, couldn't you? There's not a lot in it. But it's 45 pence each. And you know, boys and girls, in, in the Bible, it talks about water a lot. And whenever God talks about water, it's often about life, because it is life-given. But it's about a spiritual life and it's about when we receive Jesus into our lives God's Spirit comes to live inside us and well up within us and gives us life and you know what watch this we're told in the Bible look to the thirsty God says I will give water without cost doesn't cost 45 pence from the spring of the water of life. So the water that Jesus talks about, that is God's Spirit, whenever we receive Jesus to be our Savior, He comes to live within us, and He says you can have as much as you want. There'll never be any cost. It's absolutely free. Now, Russ Cook, now he will have to drink lots and lots of water. If I was to drink that now, I'd be thirsty again probably by lunchtime. So I'd have to drink another one and another one. I'd have to keep on, keep on keeping on with, with drinking because we need it, don't we? But he, Jesus says that his goes on, the life that he gives us, the spiritual life that he gives us goes on and on and on. Now, have you ever heard of this wee story? Jesus with the woman at the well. Now, gee, it was a really hot day. It was midday. The sun was high in the sky. And Jesus was so hot. He was so hot and so thirsty. His other disciples had gone in looking for food down in the town. And he went there to meet this woman. And when he sat down on the well, he was tired and he was thirsty. And he said, please give me a drink. And the woman looked at him like that because... 
You weren't meant to speak. A man was not meant to speak to a woman on the street unless they were married. That was the custom. And this woman looks at him, and she starts the conversation with him, starts to talk to him. And Jesus then turns around, and he talks about the water that I've been talking about. He says, you know what? I can give you water that you'll never thirst ever again. I can give you my spirit, God's spirit in you, that will go on and well up inside you and into eternal life. I can give you life that goes, eternal simply means goes on and on and on and on and on and on, so that whenever our bodies die, our spirit lives on and on and on in the presence of God. Now, I'm going to put a wee cartoon on for you. Do you like wee cartoons? Do you like cartoons? I'm going to put a wee cartoon on and maybe explain this a wee bit better than what I'm doing. So we'll put it on. Stories of the Bible. Jesus and the woman at the well. This is Jesus. Hey-o. Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. One day, Jesus was on his way to Galilee and had to pass through Samaria. Jesus came to a Samaritan village and stopped at the well to rest. His disciples went to the village to buy some food, so Jesus was alone. At about noon, a Samaritan woman came to the well to get water. Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. The woman was surprised because Jesus was a Jew, and Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. The woman was confused and asked where Jesus would get water like that, when he didn't even have a bucket to pull water from the well. Jesus said to her, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The woman asked Jesus for this water so she would never be thirsty again. Jesus then showed the woman that he knew things about her that she never told him. And the woman said, you must be a prophet. Then she asked Jesus why Samaritans worshipped in one place, while Jews worshipped in another place. Jesus told her that there would be a time coming when it wouldn't matter where people worshipped. He said, The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Ah! Just then, Jesus' disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but they were too nervous to ask him why. The woman ran back to the village and told everyone to come see Jesus. She said, He told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay. So he stayed for two days, and many more heard what he had to say and believed in him. They said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Okay, who wants a wee bottle of water? Okay, do you want to pick which flavor? What do you want? Black currant, apple, and raspberry? Black You like the black currant? Which one? Okay, okay. Is there anybody else? Wee child or anything? 
Okay, no, that'll do me later then. <laughs> okay, I found this song, we're just going to chill, we're not going to stand, we're just going to chill and listen to the song uh, about living water by a, a couple of guys called Shane and Shane, brothers who, uh, yeah, and, and at the end of the song, go to Bible class. not just know about it but to experience his love more and more and more and that's a prayer that we can do that we can ask him that we can know that love of God in our hearts and that was Paul's prayer that we would know the height and the depth and the width and the the length of the love of God in us all right guys so have a lovely time out in Sunday club and if there's bible class members here it's time to go out and uh, see you later Okay. And your offering will be received. Thank you.
Father, we just pray, Father, that uh, we would be a church that starts to open our hearts to the experience of God in our lives, in our daily lives. Father, that we might read your word, but, but Lord, that we might see and experience what your word talks about, that that may be a daily occurrence for us. Lord, you are with us, Emmanuel, and God, you stand with us through good times and bad times. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we want to know that. We want to experience that on a daily basis. And Father, we do pray for those who are going through difficult times in our congregation. Lord, that they may know that in this river, Lord, the difficulties that come, Lord, it will not sweep over them, that they will not be burnt, that you will bring them through. Father, we pray for those who are bereaved at the moment, Father, who are grieving. We pray your comfort and your peace in their hearts and lives. May they know that peace. May they experience that peace that passes all understanding. Lord, it comes from your very throne. That comes from your heart. So, Lord, we give our offerings to you because we do want to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We do want to tell people about him. We want to live our lives that they might see him in us, that they might see the living water overflowing from us, that they may experience and feed off the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that comes from your character living in us, living through us. God, take these offerings, Lord, and use them in such practical ways to make your gospel real to people in this congregation and in this community. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Although I have um, got these printed out, and thanks to Rini for doing that for me. Uh, have we read it those? But I'm obliged to, to read this to you. Uh, two Sundays in a row. So I, I read it last Sunday, and I'll just, if uh, you can stick with me here. Um, for the qualified voters, 1751 in, in, in the Code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, voting members in the church are communicants on the role of the congregation who are listed, whether by name or number, as having contributed to the stipend or weekly free will offering of the congregation in the last financial year. Number two, in addition to those so listed, the following shall also be qualified if themselves communicants on the roll. A, a wife shall be qualified in a husband's contribution and vice versa, whether both are communicants. This shall also apply should the contributor himself or herself not be a communicant. If neither husband nor wife in such circumstances is a communicant, then their con contribution shall qualify the eldest child residing in the family who is on the communicant's rule. B, should a contributor who is not a communicant be a member of a family residing together, then his contribution shall qualify the eldest member residing in the family who is on the communicant's role. C, those who have been added to the communicant's role of the congregation since the close of the last financial year, upon confirmation by the treasurer that they have contributed during the current year, shall also be qualified voters. 176C of the Presbyterian Code, uh, Church Code in, in, in Ireland. Should any member of the congregation who claims to be a voting member desire to make an objection regarding any name on the list or omitted from the list, he or she shall lodge his or her objections with his or her reasons in writing with the moderator of Kirk Session within a week of the first publication of the lists by any of the prescribed methods, and the Kirk Session shall give its decision thereon or refer the matter for decision at Presbytery. And D, should any member objecting be dissatisfied with the decision of the Kirk Session with respect to his or her own, own or another's qualifications, he or she shall have the right of appeal to Presbytery within seven days. The same right belongs in such cases to any member of the Kirk Session including any assessors that may have been appointed by presbytery. 
and E. When the voters list has been finalised by the Kirk session without appeal or reference or by the Presbytery after appeal or reference, it shall be dated, signed and certified as correct by the presiding moderator who shall forthwith have it lodged with the clerk of presbytery with a certified copy being retained by the moderator or interim moderator of Kirk session as the case may be. This procedure must be completed before proceeding to the election. And in the Kirk session, the membership and meetings uh, 30, uh, number one, the duty of ruling elders as members of Kirk Session is to work together with the minister in the oversight and government of the congregation for the upbuilding of God's spiritual or God's people in spiritual faithfulness, fruitfulness, sorry, and holy concord, and for the extension of Christ's kingdom among all people. Number two, ruling elders by their calling share equally with ministers in responsibility for practical witness, both within the congregation and in the wider world. Number three, in the discharge of his or her duties, each elder should be assigned a district or special responsibilities within the congregation in which he or she may more particularly represent the Kirk Session by visitation, private counsel, and report, but the Kirk Session may assign such other duties as it sees fit. 31.1. To be chosen for the office of the eldership in a congregation, a person must be a voting member of that congregation and a regular attendant on its ordinances. He or she should be circumspect and exemplary in his or her conduct, both in the church and in the world of acknowledged piety, endeavouring to maintain the worship of God in his or her family, and held in esteem by the people. Women shall be eligible for election on the same conditions as men. Number two, a ruling elder shall not hold office in more than one congregation at the same time, except as a member of an interim session. And three, subparagraph two shall not uh, so, subparagraph 2 shall not apply to retired ministers who may be members in the congregation. So, hope you've got all that now. <laughs> but let, let's, let's pray together. I, I, I'm going to pray a prayer that I put together um, back in Straban, and it's about revival, and I'd like to, to read it to the congregation, or to pray it, uh, about maybe two or three times a year in the congregation that I'm in, just to remind us that God is big into doing something new, that God is big into moving with the Spirit upon us, and that revival is definitely a, pot, a massive possibility. Um, so let me pray. Father, as we meet together this, um, as Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church, we ask that you move among us in the days and the weeks and the years to come. Prepare us for revival, for revival within our own hearts and for revival within Bangor. Each minister, each elder, each member of our congregation, may our heart's desire be only for you. Move within our hearts, we pray. We ask that you bring a deep conviction of sin a new and clear awareness of how we have offended you, a genuine repentance in our hearts. Show us our wrong motives, our wrong priorities. Give us a spiritual brokenness and recognition that our own resources are not enough, that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. We pray, God, for a spiritual awakening within our hearts, Kindle a new fire within our souls. Increase our faith to a new level of greater expectancy. Increase the hunger in our souls to seek your face in prayer and put within us a hunger for seeing answers and breakthroughs come as a result of prayer. You have all dominion above all principalities and powers. Help us, Father, under the leading of your Spirit to tap into such resources. Give us, Father, a burden for the lost, a burden for souls, a passion to see people saved. Share your heart with us. 
Show us how you see those family members, those friends or neighbors or members of our congregation who are still outside the kingdom of God. Engrave their names on our hearts. Help us to wrestle in prayer until we see breakthrough after breakthrough. Move within our hearts, we pray. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon this land of ours, that a land of spiritual wilderness may once again be hungry for your presence. Do a new thing in Bangor. Give us back the years that the locust has eaten. Draw us closer to you that you may draw closer to us. Make our churches significant in such a secular society, a society which has many problems but which offers very few answers. Make us light, make us salt, make us Christ-centered. Give us strength for each day and wisdom for each task. Guide us in all we do and say, and in years to come, may our church see the fruit of our faithful sowing. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing, All to Jesus I Surrender, because it's, it's him, it's him that's going to do it. It's him that's going to save your neighbor. It's him that's going to save your family member. It's him that's going to heal and restore. And so we surrender to him our lives and this church. Oh, Jesus, I surrender. invite Heather to come and read for us from 1st Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7. The reading is taken from 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, 
so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Amen. Thank you, Heather. Last week was looking at what it means to be an elder. Uh, today I have to look at what, what qualifications, what qualifies people to be an elder. And it's from 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. But Paul begins by first affirming leadership as a noble aspiration. Verse 1, whoever desires to be an overseer or to be an elder desires a noble task. Literally in the Greek, it's a beautiful task. It's something that's lovely. It's something to set your heart upon. And Paul encourages that. Uh, but the desire to be an elder, it must come from a pure heart, a heart that wants to glorify God in a service. I remember Billy Connolly um, saying one time, anyone who desires to be a politician should automatically be disqualified from being one. <laughs> and what he meant, I think, was that uh, the person who wants to be a politician because of the power it gives him, because of the status it gives him, should not be allowed such a position. And for Paul, Paul is saying spiritual leadership is something to be desired. It's a beautiful task. It's something lovely. But the desire is not to be a selfish one. It's, to, it's not to be about gaining power and status. It's about glorifying God in his service. So Paul now lists the noble qualifications for church elders, and he starts with the elder's reputation, first of all. Um, the overseer is to be above reproach. And Paul starts with the conduct of an elder that is observed by others, how people see him or how people see her. We will see in a moment that he also, he'll also finish the list with uh, reputation as well. His reputation should be that if his or her name was to be put up on a notice board and anyone invited to write anything that they have found that is derogatory about them, um, that there should be nothing written, that people would have seen him or have seen her as someone who is honorable and trustworthy and genuine. But the first thing that he, the first thing he brings up then uh, in this list that he sets is, is to do with marriage. He says, first place is given to the elder's marriage, faithful to his wife. Literally, it means a one woman wife man. <laughs> one woman man or one wife man. Winston Churchill, he once attended a formal banquet in London uh, where all the dignities were asked the same question. If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? And so other uh, people, they were dignitaries, were given their answers. And then it came to Churchill, and he was sitting there with his wife, Clemmie, and everybody was waiting for bated breath to find out who would he be if he had to be someone else. And he took her hand, and uh, he said, if I could not be who I am, I would most likely to be, like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. And he was a one-woman man. And an elder must be a one-woman man, faithful to his wife. And likewise, with a female elder, she must be a one-man woman, faithful to her husband. But the second thing on this, on this list is uh, that an elder should have a, a quality called self-mastery. In other words, be master of his self, be able to control himself. Temperate, Paul mentioned, self-controlled, respectable. King Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he writes, better is he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Temperate means to be sober-minded. It means to be clear-minded. It means to be self-controlled. Uh, so uh, these characteristics, Paul says, they're a must for every leader. You know, and our thoughts particularly turn to the character of Jesus Christ in this uh, who, who was wounded, we're told, in Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. He was controlled and temperate. And in contrast with his disciples, well, they, they ran from the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Peter uh, denied him. 
And uh, all of us, all of us, elders included myself, big time included, we have all failed in these areas, but we look to Jesus for our example. And with his help, we can live in such a way. We're told in, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And if God's Spirit lives in us, if we allow him, he will bear the fruit of his own character through us. Uh, this is self-mastery that comes from God as a result of a heart which is constantly surrendered to God. It's a constant thing. Okay, but then there's the question of the elders' ministry. Paul specifies two specific areas here, one being, hosp being hospitable and the other being able to teach. So hospita hosp hospitality, the Greek word here is philazonos, which means love of strangers, to have a love for strangers. This should be in the very DNA of every church, to love strangers. Paul speaking to the church in Rome, he tells them, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Romans 12, 13. Seek to show actually means pursue, chase, and simply, and sometimes even strenuous pursuit. Go after, put yourself out. Christians, especially leaders, they're not simply to wait for opportunities for hospitality, but they're to pursue them. And Peter, in his first letter, tells us all to do it without grumbling. <laughs> and he was a bit of a grumbler, so he could identify. He says, do it without grumbling. And an elder must be a happy host. He must be open uh, to invite people to share the food on his table. Hospitality is all over the New Testament, all over it. And the writer to the Hebrews, he warns us, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have actually entertained angels unawares. So hospitality is paired up in this with Paul, with able to teach as well, able to teach. Paul gives us more detail regarding this in his letter to Titus. He writes to Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So this, this requires that an elder be a student of the Word of God, that he knows the Word of God, that he's able to defend the gospel, and he's able to teach and communicate the Word of God. Now, the next thing that Paul puts down is temperance, uh, which is not given to drunkenness. Not given to drunkenness. Literal translation is not lingering beside the wine. <laughs> So we're tempted to think of the New Testament church as having no problems, aren't we? Tend to think, oh, if only we were like the New Testament church. But sometimes it had big problems, and one of them on occasions was the drinking. Especially in Corinth, was a, a, a very sinful city. It was a port, a large port, and there's sailors were coming in and getting all sorts of stuff, getting up to all sorts of business, and Paul he planted a church here in Corinth, and people didn't know how they were meant to live as Christians. They'd never done it before. They didn't know what they were meant to do. And one of the things was that they used to get drunk a lot, and even were told that they got drunk during the Lord's Supper on occasion. So Paul tells them that's not right. So he says here, an elder must be not given to drunkenness. Um, but Paul repeats this warning to deacons in verse 8. He also then speaks about it to Titus, about elders in Titus 1, verse 7. We live very much in a culture which idolizes alcohol, um, but the truth is that too much alcohol is the destroyer of health, it's the wrecker of homes, and it clouds the thinking of many men and women today. Next thing is to do with temperament temperament. Paul says, the elder should not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. So logically following on from not giving the drunkenness is what an elder's temperament should be. Not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome. 
The Greek translation for not violent is literally not a giver of blows. Not a giver of blows. Not just, he's not just referring here to physical punches, but to someone who, with a quarrelsome nature, uh, someone with outbursts of temper. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, writes, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, correcting his opponents with gentleness. An elder should be of a gentle nature, not instigating quarrels or arguing for argument's sake. We're told in Matthew eleven twenty nine that Jesus was gentle and lowly in spirit. Gentleness, again, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness. The next thing that Paul says about uh, that, that an elder should not be a lover of money. Paul's not against having money, but he's pointing out what the elder's attitude should be towards it. And this plays a big role in an elder's qualifications. He or she should not be a lover of money. Paul in 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on to point out that it has been the cause of some Christians actually walking away from the faith. Such a temptation to love money. It isn't just a temptation which affects the rich, it also is a temptation which which affects the poor. If you've got lots of money, you tend to love more money. If you don't have enough money, you sort of, you, you, there's a temptation to love it because you long for it. You long to be better off. And Paul warns us against the love of money. Paul writes in Philippians 4.12, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whatever, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And in Colossians 3, Paul exhorts us to, verse 1, seek those things which are above. And verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. But you're listening well, and we're getting there. <laughs> Family then, family. An elder, we're told, says Paul, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so, says Paul, in a manner fully worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, he says, and the, the term family here, it's better translated household in the Greek. How can he take care of his own church if he can't manage his own family? The thing is, the New Testament days, this, this was even more poignant because uh, the church was often meeting in people in family homes and often in elders' homes. And uh, the word uh, translated household is actually the Greek oikos, which literally means house. And it's the same word used in verse 15 later on when Paul's talking about the church, oikos. So Paul, Paul's calling the church God's house or God's household. And what Paul is saying here is the man who feels that the family house is disqualified from managing the church house. That's what he's saying here. But also then maturity, we touched on this last week. He must not be a recent convert, or he or she must not be a recent convert. Yes, the term elder, it comes from originally from the Old Testament, refers to an older person. Uh, who's got age and experience and um, wisdom and dignity and maturity and honor. That's where the term elder comes from originally. But here when Paul writes, he's not, he's not referring to, um, he's not saying, you know, a recent convert should not be um, brought on because of his lack of experience. He, he, he's not wanting us to look at dates Oh, that person came to faith in Christ two years ago. That person came to faith in Christ 15 years ago. So we'll go for the person who came to Christ 15 years ago because this one other hasn't, this one hasn't been long enough saved. He's not saying that. Because the person who's been saved for two years may have such a heart for God and a desire for God 
that he's grown in his faith much quicker than the man who's been there for 15 years. So it's not a matter of looking at dates here. It's a matter of looking at character. It's a matter of looking at how much this man or woman has developed in their faith and matured in their faith. That is what he's talking about with regards to maturity here. So the danger, says Paul, of an elder who is not mature in the faith is that they can fall into sin of pride very well. They can become conceited. They can become puffed up. I think the actual Greek term is filled with smoke. Um, they, can, they can get full of hot air, you know that term. Um, so the final qualification then takes us full circle then back to the very beginning, to the matter of reputation. And we're told the reputation, he must also have a good reputation, verse 7, with outsiders. So he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The phrase good reputation, it can be translated as, as well thought of. He must be well thought of. In the original Greek, it literally means beautiful witness. I think that is lovely. Beautiful witness. The elder must be a beautiful witness. And the, um, he must have a beautiful witness with outsiders. So these are, these are Paul's recommendations. These are Paul's qualifications for being an elder. And as I pointed out last week, the question we must ask is, what sort of church uh, do we want? Uh, but but, but, but the, the question that preempts that is what sort of a leadership do we want? Because it's a sober fact that in general, as goes the leadership, so goes the church. It's very evident the attitudes and the words and the actions of those in leadership can have a good influence or can have a detrimental influence on the congregation and indeed upon the brightness of our witness as a church family in our community. So you understand, I'm sure, why such care is needed as we give prayerful consideration on who we would like to serve as elders. You know, the bar is very high, and as I looked at this, and uh, I was never very good at high jump when I was younger. But when I look at all of these standards, uh, there's many times when I have come onto the bar. And, uh, and, and I'm sure many of our elders can identify with that. We're not perfect. We, we sin. You know, and we, we are here by the grace of God. But it's not a reason for not aiming for that bar. That's what we're aiming for, the things that we've been speaking about this morning, um, and taking the Lord Jesus Christ as our perfect example, and the Word of God as our plumb line, which shows us how far off the mark we are. So just a little final closure. Jesus, you'll notice, he never uses the term, sorry, it's not convenient, he walks many miles out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman at the well, and he climbs down the hill into the valley to meet the leper. His nature is to leave 99 sheep to go and find the one which is lost. He, stop, he stops for a moment to bless the children and to talk with them and to play with them while the disciples are wanting to hurry on. Going the extra mile is simply part of Christ's nature. And it's that extra mile that in fact takes him to the cross. And the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12 writes, so let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May we look to Jesus as our example. Let's pray a moment. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the chief shepherd. You are the pastor. Lord, you are the perfect elder. Lord, one who comes alongside us, one who loves us, who cares for us, who will go the extra mile for us. And Lord, that extra mile took you to Calvary. 
Lord, I pray that we might, as a leadership here, that we might follow your example. And Lord, that we would not dishonor you in any way, but honor you. And Lord, we're praying, God, for men and women who your hand has been upon, but you knew before we would ever go for this election, Lord, you knew your hand was upon particular people for to be potential elders. And Lord, we pray that you would put those folk in the hearts of people in the congregation, that you would guide them and lead them and guide the session also. And may we do everything, Lord, everything for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing our final hymn and it's a very appropriate hymn to God be the glory. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.